one thing I've kind of uncovered through this process is that young women aren't asked for their opinions very often. It's like our society has sort of been trained to not hear from that population or that demographic. So I've made it one of my missions to just get the opinions of more young women. Welcome to Trail Effect, episode 24. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. For episode 24, we bring you Angie Weston. Angie might be the most inspiring person we've had on this podcast to date. Angie brings a ton of energy to this interview, which is focused on women-specific coaching and riding. Angie is the owner of Radical Roots MTB, which is a company focused on teaching mountain bike skills in the Bellingham, Washington area. Angie is also an industry veteran, which helps her really bring depth on the topics discussed in this show. Support for TrailFet comes from Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Smith's is a full-service bike shop that is a retailer for Trek Bicycle Company and Salsa Cycles. Smith also has a full line of components and accessories from Bontrager and other various companies. For more information about Smith's Bike Shop, go to www.smithsbikes.com. A special thanks goes out to Ben Wellenek of Mountain Bike Radio for supporting this podcast and to the people who have shared their time and knowledge. Without this, we would not have these stories to tell. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. So here we are with Trail Effect. I have Angie Weston here. Angie is with the Radical Rippers, Radical Roots, and Radical Rippers. Is that correct? Uh, both, yeah. My company is Radical Roots Mountain Bike Instruction, or I just call it Radical Roots MTB. And then our junior development program is the Radical Rippers. Yeah, which is how I how how I got. I guess you could say how you got my attention was one of the um, the transition video with the flying squirrels in that too, which is an amazing video. So yeah, Sky and Oliver did a great job with that one. Yeah. Yeah. And that I love seeing that stuff. I have two young daughters. And so it's I love being able to show that stuff to them and get them excited about the sport. It's one so. of my favorite things to hear of like young young the younger uh audience that has seen that video and get inspired by it. It just fills my heart. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really good stuff. Let's get into your backstory a little bit to kind of learn how you got to where you are today and, and kind of what inspired you to get into mountain biking and, and do exactly what you're doing. Yeah. So, I um, mean, if we take it back to like my childhood, I was definitely one of those kids that any bike that was put in front of me, I tried to hop on it and ride. I didn't grow up with much money, you know, single mom raising two girls uh, in pretty low income housing. So I would get on a bike just to like get out of the apartment complex and explore. And I remember my mom one year bought us all matching bikes. And these are just probably like department store bikes, like nothing fancy. And I don't recall us ever going on a family bike ride, but I remember I rode my bike until it had like flat tires or like a twisted handlebar. And then I hopped on my mom's bike and rode it into the ground. And then at that point, my sister hadn't really been riding hers much. So I got on hers. 
and rode it into the grounds. I rode this identical bike for like years on end just until they weren't operable anymore. (laughs) And then when I graduated high school, I knew I wasn't going to have a car or anything to go to college with. And so my uh, dad pitched in and bought me this like lady Schwinn cruiser bike, like step through frame. And that was like my mode of transportation in college. And I was a sophomore. So my second year in college and I needed two or three credits to be able to get my financial aid check that quarter. And I really didn't want to take another academic class. So first day of classes, I'm like frantically scanning. What class can I take to fill in these credits? And boom, beginning bicycling was a PE class offered. And I, this was here in Bellingham at Western Washington University. So this is like, I moved up here in 2000, started college in 2001. I was looking for this class. All the requirements were, it was that you needed a helmet and a bike. And I was like, boom, I got that. Let's do this beginning bicycling class. And uh, the first day of class, I show up and my teacher is like, so I'm a mountain biker. So this is actually going to be a beginning mountain biking class because that's what I know how to teach. And I'm like, mountain biking? I had never heard of it before. Like definitely had never taken my bike into dirt over roots and stuff. Like all those years of riding as a kid, I just stuck to sidewalks. I had no idea people took their bikes off road. <laughs> and so, yeah, the, I remember the first day of class, I came home to my roommates, like covered in mud. I wiped out on a wooden bridge. So I was a little bloody, sweaty, freaking stoked. I was like, you guys, I just did the coolest thing ever. <laughs> my mind was blown. So, uh, that was, I think, in the fall of that year. And so by the class wasn't offered through the winter. And then in the springtime, it was offered again. And I saved up my birthdays in the spring. So I asked everybody who was going to pitch in, all my family that was going to have a birthday present for me. I was like, all I want is a mountain bike, you guys. <laughs> so I uh, saved up and bought a hardtail Diamondback dual reactor. Upgraded it, put disc brakes on it. It was like so sick. It was like a $500 hardtail. So that became my commuter bike because I still don't have a car. It was the bike I rode here locally on the trails, which there weren't a lot of shuttle options here. So it was like my cross country bike. And then um, my buddies who were in the bike class talked me into joining Western's mountain bike team. And I became a downhill racer as a beginner mountain biker. I was like, sure, I'll race. And so that was like my downhill race bike too. I did all of it on this hardtail. And so it's really funny whenever my bike needed an upgrade, like new tires, a new handlebar, anything like that, it was like full DH. Like I wanted like the beefiest, meatiest. Here I am like riding my bike to the grocery store, like full downhill rubber and stuff, right? Like (laughs) I was just obsessed, like right from the get-go. It's pretty funny to think back that how, how like influential that was. And then so much of my life path from that point was just, has just been me following my heart, right? Like I didn't grow up racing BMX or having mountain biking or even like doing outdoor sports with my family or anything. So uh, I was discovering this sport um, in my 20s. And yeah, I just, one thing led to another. I eventually started teaching that bike class because the teacher that had been teaching it needed to graduate. And I'd taken it now a couple of times. So he recommended me to teach the bike class. And that was fun. (laughs) But I really had no business. I really just was regurgitating like how I had learned that I wasn't by any means like a certified instructor and knew what I was doing at that point. Fast forward a few years, I graduate college. Um, I land a job at a local bike shop here in town, Fairhaven Cycle and Sport, where I was was also a snowboarder through college and dabbled in snowboard instruction. And 
So when I got this job at the bike shop, it was perfect. We were a ski and snowboard shop in the winter and a bike shop all year round. So I really started to learn way more about equipment and the whole side and retail side of things. And while I'm simultaneously putting my resume on the world as a community health educator, that's what I got my degree in, right? So bachelor science degree in like health promotion. My idea was that I was going to be a college health educator, right? I wanted to work on a university campus, do a peer educational program where college students are educating their peers on lifestyle choices and health and whatnot and wellness. And so I was like applying for jobs in that field with that resume while working at the bike shop and just falling in love with the bike industry. And luckily, none of the real world jobs panned out. Because at that point in my life, I'd really only lived in the Seattle Tacoma suburbs growing up and Bellingham. So I was applying for jobs in like Kansas City and everywhere in the Midwest where there are big colleges. It's kind of where I was applying. I was like, I can live anywhere, whatever. (laughs) And uh, none of those jobs panned out. And I just kept working away at the bike shop, became manager at the bike shop, and then started meeting and riding with the local bike companies here, like Transition had just moved to town. So I met those guys. Uh, Kona Bikes is here in town. Started meeting those guys and actually ended up getting hired at Kona Bikes um, from the bike shop. And I had an awesome 10-year career there as a sales rep. And while I was working as a sales rep, I was revisiting my coaching, right? I bet I taught that bike class at the university. And ended up getting invited to Brown County, Indiana, which uh, Josh, you mentioned a little bit ago, uh, or you'd mentioned in your email, I think, that your wife has been to that event uh, in Brown County, the Women's Weekend there, right? Yeah, back in 2012. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, that very well could have been one of the yet see, I would have been, I'm pretty sure I would have been coaching at it back then, too. So I go to this women's event in Brown County, and the woman putting it on, Tanya Juliet, she was like, Angie, do you want to help teach bike class at all? I was like, oh, totally. I used to teach at Western Washington University. I totally know how to teach mountain biking. <laughs> Luckily, she partnered me with a certified coach because that's when I saw like, whoa, this coach knows way more than I do. Like this is legit approach to teaching that I'd never heard before. So that kind of kickstarted me wanting to get my certifications. So back then it was the international certification program, ICP, and then it became IMBA bought it. And so I got godfathered in with my cert to the IMBA ICP program. And now it's back in Shams ownership, BICP, Bicycle Instructor Certification Program. And so, yeah, it's kind of been fun to be a part of the early years of certification even existing, right? Like it wasn't very common that people got certified And I was one of very few women who got a level three certification, which is the highest level you can get before you become an instructor trainer. Of course, I would have loved to have been an instructor trainer, but I was making too much money at Kona to want to switch careers at that point. And I loved my job as a sales rep. I was really good at it and um, really enjoyed it. I got to travel so much of the country and seeing so many different bike communities and areas. That's what really reinforced how magical Bellingham was for me, like getting to visit all these places throughout the country as a sales rep and as a coach, a mountain bike coach, I was like, oh man, we we really have it made in Bellingham, our terrain, our weather, the trails, the community here. 
So I think that really solidified my choice to still live here in Bellingham and stay here and not move off like I thought you had to after college for some reason. (laughs) So yeah. And then eventually just my energy arc for Kona was on the decline. I was kind of over the sales rep lifestyle, traveling, hitting huge sales goals and just constantly pushing and, uh, you know, pushing for that. And then um, my real passion as a coach was growing more and more obvious and hard to ignore and hard to keep as a side hustle. So I parted ways with Kona in August of 2017 and knew I wanted to coach as like, I knew I wanted to follow my career as coaching, but there weren't a lot of people who had full-time jobs. I only knew a couple women like Lindsay Richter with Ladies All Ride and Kat Sweet of Sweet Lines were two of the only women I knew who ran coaching businesses and made it their full-time career. So luckily I had them as mentors and people to look up to. Uh, and obviously a lot of men running their own instruction companies that I could look up to, Shams, stuff like that. But it took me a couple months to kind of like really work out a vision, a business plan. I am not from a family of entrepreneurs or have had that much influence on running a business throughout my life. So it was all, it's all very new territory. I say it still is because now I'm three years in and I'm still learning so much about running a business, hiring a team, all the things. There's so much to it, but I love it. Um, Yeah. So I guess that kind of gets you up to speed with a bit of where I am. Oh yeah. So then uh, I started Radical Roots and actually I was in the process of starting my business. I hadn't even launched it yet. When um, Kevin Menard, of the, one of the co-owners at Transition, he approached me. He's like, hey, I heard you might not be writing for Kona, even though you don't work there anymore. And I was like, yeah, like we kind of ended. And so he's like, well, would you want to be on our team? And I was like, well, I've never ridden a transition before. So let me at least ride one of your bikes and see if I like it. Like I totally was like, I don't know. I might have options here. <laughs> and yeah, I threw my leg over. They got me on a demo bike. I threw my leg over a transition Sentinel. And there's no looking back. I had a blast. I love that bike. The company has been like insanely supportive of me. They really like stepped in and it took me on as a team member and like instantly promoting me. They were giving me, I was building my brand and and coaching business and they're giving me feedback on it and just really like from the get-go supporting me just like mind-blowing amount and so into what I was doing that um yeah I could tell I was like okay this is this is where I'm meant to be this is where like my next chapter grows from and so yeah in February of 2018 I launched Radical Roots Mountain Bike Instruction and For that first like six months, I want to say I had it in the back of my mind that like, okay, winter rolls around, I'll need to get a part-time job. There's not going to be as much coaching. Who can coach full-time anyway? Like I think of the energy I pour into my mountain bike lessons and events. And I'm like, I don't even know if this is possible to do (laughs) full-time. And um, yeah, no, it's, yeah, my demand has been increasing ever since. There's no way I could like, add in another career, another job or anything like that. It's been um, fully, fully supporting me. And the trick to doing it full time is hire a team. And that's to me been one of the coolest things about my, my new role and my uh, owning my business is that I now employ local writers with really well-paid, meaningful work. 
And I'm like, what? I'm giving them this super cool job I would have wanted before this, you know? So that is incredibly rewarding. Obviously, that coaching people through mountain biking and helping them realize their potential on a bike is insanely rewarding, rewarding all on its own. But hiring folks to get to experience that transformation in folks is even cooler than I ever imagined it would be. Let's back up just a little bit because I really want to get into the energy side of 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 radical roots. I'm going to throw out the six degrees of separation here. Okay. (laughs) So at Kona, there's a guy known as Kona Joe. Oh yeah. Kona Joe used to work at the shop that supports this podcast in La Crosse, Wisconsin. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I should have known you knew Joe. That's hilarious. Of course, you probably know Jordan too. Then I don't. I don't know Jordan. Okay. A good friend of mine also, while it's not the shop that supports this podcast, I do help him with his camp. That shop is called Blue Dog in Viroqua, Wisconsin. I love Pete Blue Dog. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Pete was the first podcast person I ever interviewed. Oh, I didn't go back that far in your archives. I should listen well, to that one. It's a different podcast. It's not under oh, this okay. show. So you wouldn't have found it there. That's a, That was a podcast known as Driftless Dirt when it was just regional. Okay. Gotcha. And I knew, this is funny, I knew, I didn't really know how to interview people. I knew I wanted to do a podcast. I'm like, who can I interview that I can literally say three words and they'll just talk for the next two hours? Pete. <laughs> That's Pete. <laughs> me too. You could have done that with me too. <laughs> so like, and we went through his whole life story and it was, wow. it was good. Cause Pete grew up in the cross where I live and he moved away for a bunch of years and then came back and started Blue Dog and started Camp Blue Dog. So I help him out with Camp Blue Dog and stuff like that. But yeah, it's... <laughs> It's interesting to have, you know, people that, that were from, you know, that are in the Midwest and somewhat connected to what, you know, what you used to do at Kona. So that's, that's pretty awesome. Totally. We have one it. other guy too that used to work at the shop here that supports me. Greg Heath. Oh yeah. He's a, a Bellingham local. Yep. 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 Awesome. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he, uh, he's another person that I used to ride with before he left town to, to go to your fabulous community. So Let's dig into the into the coaching side of things. Maybe get a little bit more into the details on, on becoming an instructor, working with Shams. Um, Shams is another person that I um, knew in a previous life back when he, way back in the day when he was riding for Mountain Cycle. You know, we're, we're talking like mid to late 90s, you know? So maybe get into the into how that process went and what the, the stuff that you picked up on as far as coaching people and especially coaching women. Yeah. Um... Shams is just such an incredible coach. I mean, clearly he's a great rider, but his ability to really hone in on an individual's needs and and pinpoint exactly what you need to help you progress. I'll never forget learning how to properly corner from Shams. Like I'm in my certification courses and he's like, Angie, you're doing it all wrong. (laughs) And I was like, what? I was like, I was winning expert level downhill races thinking I was like hot stuff, you know? And uh, I mean, I knew I had room to improve. Don't get me wrong. I never, never thought I was like on the trajectory to go pro or world cup or anything, but I thought I was pretty decent and I'm getting certified realizing how little I actually knew about foundational things in coaching. So, you know, my aspirations back then were to like corner faster and hit gap jumps. And he's showing me I was not even learning how to lift my wheels off the ground properly or corner properly. And uh, it really blew my mind. And I tell people this a lot, especially when I'm teaching them cornering, is that there, I mean, there's so much going on, right? And you're trying to figure out 
the mechanics of leaning your bike and balancing that lean and working with the G-forces, if there's a berm or not, like all these little nuances. And all of a sudden learning how to corner, I, my body couldn't tell the right from left. I swear I like went, I digressed in like what I knew. And so, but I trusted the process and Shams gave me some really great drills to work on and things to think about in a, like a really like organized sequence and easy to digest pieces. And he encouraged me to do more self-analysis. So I never really watched videos or looked at photos of myself very analytically or like pinpointing little things I could be doing differently. So um, I was riding with these incredible mountain bikers like Lisa Tharp and Kat Sweet and Gail Dallager and Tammy Donahue. And I'm looking at photos of them and in the corner and then me in a corner. I'm like, I don't look anything like them. I'm not doing this right. So that helped me get start honing in like how I look at what a rider that's doing it properly and versus someone who needs to work on their technique and pinpointing those little things and finding ways to like work on them one at a time so you don't overwhelm your brain with too much at once. So I tell people a lot that when Shams gave me all these cornering lessons, I kind of hated him a little bit. You know, I'd been one with my bike, like Zen, cruising through the woods, enjoying it. And I turned into this like head case. I was like, okay, Angie, left hand turns coming, lean the bike to the left. Uh, Okay, right hand turns coming, lean the bike to the right. Like I had to overthink so much that it felt really awkward and unnatural, but I trusted the process. I trusted Shams and Sure enough, with repetition and practice, intentional practice, I started to figure it out. And now when I corner, um, that feels natural. Like proper technique feels like the natural reflex in my body. So I don't have to overthink it. Now I can add layers of thinking of different things, like trying to square up the corner differently or uh, let the rear wheel drift through, uh, doing different things with my braking. So it's like, there's always something you can be thinking about to adding a new layer of progression. But those early days, I, you know, I definitely tell my students, it's okay if you hate me a little bit. I'm going to overwhelm your brain with things to think about. Trust the process, put in the practice. It becomes more natural with time. And, you know, be, be gentle on yourself and be patient because getting frustrated and like throwing your bike down the trail when you don't nail something isn't going to make you progress either. So, <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, so Shams, like really um, getting certified really improved my writing greatly. It deepened my understanding. It gave kind of a method to the badness, why some things worked, why others didn't. And so that takes a lot of mystery out of mountain biking. I feel like I get a lot of students that come to me that are struggling with their confidence. And to me, my confidence was is lowest when I'm just unsure of what's going to happen. When I can kind of map out like, okay, it's going to feel like this. I need to be going this speed. This is my wind up move to do the big move. Like if I'm kind of thinking practical and like do, 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 do what steps need to be taken. And you build the reflex around those steps and you know just what to do and just when to do it from all this practice. That's where confidence comes from, right? Like that's what makes me feel like, oh yeah, that steep rock roll or that weird techie drop to flat. I got that. I know just what all the pieces feel like and I just have to put them together. And so, um, yeah, learning is an arduous process, especially learning a sport as an adult. It does not come easy for most people. So just going at it with that bit of patience and knowing that it's, you're going to be in your head a lot initially, but it does get better if you just kind of go with the flow and trust the process. <laughs> so what do you, 
Did that answer your question? Sorry, that took kind of a tangent. (laughs) No, that's all right. We're all about taking tangents. (laughs) What do you, what kind of advice or, you know, what do you have, especially for women getting into mountain biking? It seems like, you know, it's obviously it's a male dominated sport that is changing, thankfully. Um, Which for me as a father of two daughters, I'm really happy to see that. But what do you, you know, what do you have, what do you have to say to like either you know, a, a younger female or even an, especially an adult, like you just kind of nailed it with the fact that learning something as an adult maybe isn't the same as learning something as say a 12 year old or a 15 year old. What kind of stuff do you have for those newer riders that are coming to coming to you to get some coaching? Yeah. Oh man. So many things. I like to summarize a lot of, so a lot of the skills and drills that we teach, how to lift your wheels, proper braking, body positioning, Um, Even just like sending jumps and hitting the ramps that we have, um, like the wedge kicker ramps and stuff we bring out to our lessons, hitting drops. Like all of that really boils down to a couple key concepts. I really try to like, oh, I try to simplify things while also giving an immense amount of detail because a lot of us as adults want to learn that way. Right. And I don't know if it's just the nature of these careers and getting instruction, but I find a lot of my clients, especially my adult clients, obviously are, um, you know, they're doctors, nurses, engineers, uh, computer programmers, lawyers, like they're people that like, they want to dig in and like get the juice of the information and process it and understand some whys and they want to hear the physics behind things. And like, that's my jam. I love it. I could like explain mountain biking techniques until I'm blue in the face. It's just so what um, interests me and what. I have a wealth of knowledge to share about. I spend a lot of time contemplating it, thinking about it, running it down with other coaches of mine. Like hour long conversations have happened after skills clinics where we're just like, this worked and this did it and here's why and da da da. So these, all this like is to say, I, I think that they boil down to three main concepts. So balance is a huge piece of mountain biking. It's kind of your job to like always find balance on your bike. Anticipation, like knowing a wind up move or knowing what's coming looking ahead, knowing how your brakes are going to react, knowing you need to load before you lift. A lot of those wind up move or anticipation pieces, setting up for a corner, like that's a lot of mystery in mountain biking comes from just not planning ahead. So I think anticipating what's to come or what you need to do is such a huge piece. And then the third overarching theme that improves your mountain biking is patience. Like I just said, learning is an arduous process. Learning something physical, especially as an adult, is not easy. <laughs> the kids I coach who come from other sports who've been coached through their adolescence are little sponges. I can tell them, oh, use your feet a little bit more on that jump or that bunny hop. And then boom, they're using their feet more and they clear it. And it's like an adult, I might have to be like, okay, let me hold your bike and I'm going to have you bounce up and down. You feel how you can use your feet here? And like, okay, when we use our feet, it's like initiating inertia. And you kind of like, almost have to like explain and demo and let them feel it. And then they can go out and try and use their feet more and get the results of it. Does that make sense? It's like a lot of times with kids, you just kind of like drop a little nugget, they soak it in and can demonstrate it almost flawlessly. (laughs) Um, So I like to remind adults that patience piece is huge. I also like to explain to folks getting into mountain biking for the first time, male, female, old, young. The beauty of mountain biking is that there's a little something for everybody right? Just like in skiing world, you've got the bunny slopes, the green trails, blue trails, all the way up to double black or red diamond, you know? And it's not all 
Red Bull Rampage, send it and flip it, spin it, like death exposure ridges. Like if that's what you're into, by all means, there's plenty of that in mountain biking. So I just like to remind people that just find what suits you and revel in that. It doesn't have to be mountain biking is you make it what it what you want it to be. If you just want to keep your tires on the ground and explore the outdoors with friends, um, if you want to learn how to clear gap jumps, I mean, it's your call. Like you totally get to dictate what mountain biking, what the sport of mountain biking means to you and what it looks like to you. Yeah, for sure. It's I mean, I look at this, what we're doing, what we're talking about as a, as a almost like a life skill. It's just, you know, just like skiing or snowboarding, it's it's one of the few activities that you can do as a kid and and then carry it on through your adulthood, really your whole life. You know, I mean, you don't see many people playing ball sports their whole life, you know, and I don't want to bag on ball Maybe sports. Maybe pickleball. <laughs> <laughs> really? We're going to pickleball? It's <laughs> just like a ball sport that popped in my head that I can imagine older people playing. I have one of my clients is 76 years old and he just learned how to mountain bike like three years ago. You know, what's funny is that this is the second or third episode that pickleballs came up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you ever have Jill, have you had Jill Kittner on your podcast yet? No. Okay. Pickleball will come up with Jill too, I'm sure. Here's a a sidebar on pickleball. So a couple of years ago, it was probably three years ago, I was at a city council meeting here where I live to lobby for more funding for more trails. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it was a it was a capital improvement budget um, meeting, so it was what the city was going to use for their next for funding stuff for the next year. And we had there's a group of people that were lobbying for new pickleball courts, and they literally used the exact same script that we would use as mountain bikers to sell pickleball courts. And a guy that I was there with is is one of our directors of tourism here in our area. And they literally, they called him that day and he didn't know why they called, but they told him like all this stuff. And it was like the exact same script. You just, you take out mountain biking, you put in pickleball, you take out trails, you put in pickleball. So I've, I've joked about that, but it is apparently a really up and coming sport, especially for, we'll say older people, you know? So, so we sidebarred into pickleball once again. (laughs) (laughs) You should not make that a goal. Every podcast has to, (laughs) pickleball has to intersect in it somehow. It does. Uh, you know, before we move on to the topic of ladies in the sport, yeah, and I don't know if you were going to move on or no. We can keep. This is why we're here. <laughs> so, yeah, one of the one one thing I um, definitely stood out to me in my years as a sales rep was the barrier that the bike shop can create, oftentimes for women and girls to get into sports. That's not to say some bike shops aren't totally nailing it, because I certainly saw that out in the world and. But I saw a lot of examples of like just instances at bike shops that very well could have turned a female, especially a woman or girl away from the sport, maybe forever, right? Like just not hearing them out, not engaging with them, not respecting where they might be as a cyclist, right? Not giving them benefit of the doubt. They might actually know what they're talking about or know what they like about mountain biking and don't really care what this young 20 something year old boy that works at the shop, <laughs> man that works at the shop cares about in cycling, right? Like mountain biking can be different for people. It can be different for people. So it's important for shops to remember that, that we're not all in it for the same reasons that you as an employee at the shop are into it. They might 
aspire to that one day, but it might not be where they're at, or it might not even be an interest of theirs. So I think that, um, yeah, one of the big barriers is just shop, the shop culture, um, which is evolving. And I think that there is real progress happening. And honestly, now more than ever, I see women owning or co-owning shops. And I think that makes a big difference. But um, I would just little public service announcement to anybody who works in the bike retail business, just maybe check your biases at the door and consider a little more open-minded approach to what a mountain biker or cyclist should look like or act like. And when it comes to being a really good customer service um, representative, your number one job is to find out what your customer needs and wants. And so it's just all about asking questions. I'd go into bike shops and hear ladies getting talked to kind of like, "Ah, I don't think that that's really the message they need right now. And I would just kind of, as a sales rep, sometimes I would just interject on the sales floor, like curious, like, why is it that you think you want a bike with disc brakes or whatever, right? Like whatever the question I feel like needed to be asked. And just by asking a customer a couple questions, it, it unfolds this whole story that is super relevant to why she's shopping for the bike she's shopping for or asking for the things she asked for. Whereas the shop employees were kind of just making a bunch of assumptions and not getting to the bottom of it. And we're kind of like, I don't think we can help you when in fact they could if they just had dug a little deeper. So ask your questions. Don't just make assumptions. And I think that could go really far in progressing the sport and making it more welcoming along with obviously they, um, you know, studies show that shops that have teams or clubs that include women tend to sell to women better. um, shops that have female employees reach more female customers. So um, I get it. I'm sure a lot of shops, I've heard this a gazillion times of shops being like, we'd love to hire some ladies, but we just don't have any of them that are qualified applying. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) time out. I was that chick that got hired at a bike shop with zero experience. I loved biking. That's all that mattered. I learned all the rest and actually really quickly. (laughs) So I think like, if you want a more diverse, and this goes for racial diversity too, if you want more diversity in your shop, you might have to get a little creative in reaching out to include those people and not just so that you can check a box in hiring, but actually make them feel included. Like the bike shop I worked for asked my opinion on soft goods and asked my opinion on hard goods that were coming into the shop. Even though I didn't know all the techie lingo and stuff, I did know what I liked and what appealed to me. And I learned the rest and I became a very qualified bike shop employee in a very short amount of time. And it was just because um, somebody took me under their wing and taught me. It wasn't because I walked in with this like glowing resume, right? Oh, for sure. Thank you. And thank you for going that direction because that is super important stuff. Um, you know, that I, I'll go back a little bit to the shop that does support the show. It's, it, it is co-owned by a female and they do have several female employees. And they do have women specific group rides, both off-road and on-road, you know, and I, and I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't think I know for a fact that has helped that that has helped that shop a lot, you know, to, and especially in, of, of course, they should be taking your opinion in terms of soft goods and soft goods and hard goods. I mean, that's, it'd be ridiculous not to, you know, especially if they want to make sales and really get good quality products in their stores. So. Yeah. So let's yeah. let's get into the the weeds a little bit, um, only because this has been an area that I've uh, focused on with this show specifically, and that is the area known as the Keweenaw Peninsula and Copper Harbor. 
Anahama. Yeah. <laughs> so in your travels, you've you've been able to travel up the Kiwanau Peninsula and Copper Harbor for their women's weekend. Why don't you um, go into that a little bit and what you've learned about that community? It's it's a community that is really close to my heart, so and my family's heart too. And so it's it'd be good to get uh, your take on it. Oh, yeah. First of all, shout out to the Copper Harbor Car- Ooh, Copper Harbor Trails Club, Trail Club. They do a phenomenal job putting on the Copper Harbor Women's Weekend. Uh, from the very first year, I was there the very first year Copper Harbor Women's Weekend came to fruition. And they were already a pretty well-oiled machine running this event. You can tell that the community is tight-knit. They care greatly about preserving that feeling of Copper Harbor. It's quaint. It's isolated. It's really magical, right? Like the first time I went to Copper Harbor, my cell phone didn't work. I didn't have Wi-Fi. I loved every second of it, right? In the back of my head, I was freaking out like, oh my gosh, my bike orders aren't shipping this week. Ah, right. But but in reality, I was like, ah, just free to ride and shred. And at the end of the day, you're sweaty and you jump in the lake and start every morning with a fresh baked good, usually something with thimbleberry, something in it. Like, oh my gosh, what's that bakery in Copper Harbor? That's so good. Jameson's. Is that it? I think, I think it's Jameson's Fish Market has a bakery with it. Right on the dock. Right on the dock. Yep. Yes. Oh my gosh. So lovely. Um, but yeah, and then uh, obviously the trails, like I wouldn't go back year after year if it weren't for how insanely sweet the trail network is there. And like every summer I'd come back for another Women's Weekend event, there'd be new trails built, new features, new zones. They really wanted um, the Women's Weekend to be successful. And so they started asking us coaches what we would need. And so we got to help kind of design these Um, little skills areas and stunts for them to put out for us to use in our coaching. And that stuff's all there. And it's even more so now. I haven't been in a couple of years, but it's, um, yeah, the pictures I see, it looks like it's still growing and blossoming. And it's just so cool that this little town that has population of like 80 year round residents or something, we would bring over a hundred women there to, for women's weekend. So we'd over double the population in female mountain bikers. And let me tell you, that is something special to be a part of. <laughs> it was really, really pretty cool. So. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to, do you, oh, first, did you have anything else you wanted to say about Copper Harbor before you? No. It, you've, just, you've nailed it. I mean, gosh, especially with the thimbleberries. Oh, the thimbleberries are so good. <laughs> There's even a place in, as you get to Copper Harbor, uh, a community called Calumet that has thimbleberry margaritas. Ooh, I didn't try one of those. Yeah. That'll be on the list. Okay. <laughs> Copper Harbor, I'm coming back. I got to try one of those thimbleberry margs. <laughs> yep. 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 That's a restaurant called Carmelita's in, in Calumet. Um, I wish it wasn't so hard to get there, but I'm also glad that it's so hard to get there. <laughs> yeah, it does. It definitely... Um, makes the place more even more special you know and and so with with your women's clinics copper harbor is a place you've gone are there any other communities that have really kind of stuck with you as far as being really good mountain bike communities that that you just enjoy traveling to or maybe they didn't you didn't have them on your radar and after you left it you're like wow that place really is they got their stuff going on yeah oh gosh so many i mean i've i've been really impressed um, with most places I've traveled to and often go back year after year because I love them so much. I have a hard time 
not returning to a great venue once I've been. So one a venue that I've gone to for like 11 plus years now has been Snowshoe Bike Park in West Virginia. I started the Women's Weekend there back in 2008. And obviously, we didn't have it in 2020 because of COVID, but it ran every year since 08 and has grown tremendously. And Snowshoe reports that they've seen a huge increase in their women ridership and the races, the downhill races and enduro races that happen in Snowshoe now see a lot more women than they used to. And it's really fun to look at the podiums and see like ladies I've coached over the years at our downhill women's clinic that we had every summer. So Snowshoe has a near and dear place in my heart. I feel like a visit like a one of the second homeowner locals there or something. I don't own a home there or anything, but like when I show up, I feel like I'm one of the locals for that weekend or that week that I'm there. Um, they're just such a it's such a welcoming community. There are some incredible female riders out there, some great coaches. Um, I just have a blast at Snowshoe. Um, another spot that really sticks out in my mind is Ray's Indoor Bike Park in Cleveland, Ohio. They've done a phenomenal job building a women's presence um, at Ray's Indoor Bike Park. So not uh, not your typical venue for mountain biking, but a really fun place and an awesome spot for progression. So some of the gals that are coming out of there from BMX riders to mountain bikers, dirt jumpers, um, are really skilled and they're really talented at hitting jumps, especially because they just get so much practice. Um, and like Brooke Trine, who's the manager there, and Ray Gandalf, who ran the Women's Weekend there for years, they just and Lee Donovan helped run it too. They just did an exceptional job of building a female community, female riding community with just like so much support. And it's just so I watched um, on Instagram Live all the jump jams at Women's Weekend this year because. It was funny enough, it was one of the last events I did in 2020 because it happens in February. So February 20, February 2020, I was there at Women's Weekend and then had to miss it this year, February 2021, because we weren't allowed to travel yet. But yeah, I would say Ray's community really stands out to me. Um, Indiana, Brown County State Park, and now um, Danielle and Kate with DNK Presents have um, Brown County bikes running and they just do a phenomenal job of supporting women and programming for women. And the riding in Brown County is super fun. I love the trails there. It's just a little diamond in the rough in the Midwest out there. Um, and then, yeah, really the last, the only other one that came to mind when you sent me this question and I was brainstorming Josh was um, the Bozeman, the Bozeman community. So Bozeman, Montana, there's this um, Bozeman youth cycling organization that has hundreds of kids all ages learning how to race mountain bikes and ride mountain bikes and I was lucky enough to go out there a couple years ago in the spring and do a big training with all their youth coaches and oh my gosh my heart was so full after that weekend like the community of coaches is incredible the woman running the program is amazing Molly and her team Uh, with Jesse on it. Like there's just some really phenomenal women leading the charge in that youth organization. The guys too, but like, I just got to give a shout out to the ladies that are doing it. That community really struck me as just giant yet so tight. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good segue into what's next, which would be the youth you have around Bellingham and how your involvement is there. Yeah. Um, I think that's, is that a full summer program or a weekly program? Or how's, how do you guys have that structured and, and how is that kind of unfolded? Yeah. So the um, youth programs here in Bellingham, specifically for the, for girls and um, riders who I like to just say, actually radical rippers are for 
those writers who self-identify as a woman, who are non-binary and non-gender conforming. So we're really a welcoming space. And we, um, yeah, do eight weeks of rides after school in the spring and then another eight week segment in the fall. And then throughout the summer and winter, we host these meetups where we'll maybe do um, specific rides or skills and drills building. Like, you know, we'll have a three hour explore Galbraith ride where we start on the south side and use maps to get over to the north side, um, picking trails along the way. Or we'll do like a jump course where we work on the ramps and the grass and then go up on the hill and hit the jumps. So we have like really fun summer activities. And then the winter, we get to use our local um, privately owned covered pump track called the Bike Ranch. So we'll have winter meetups at the pump track, uh, at the Bike Ranch pump track. And then, yeah, but spring and spring and fall are like our main seasons. We do these eight week riding programs where once a week, the girls get with their group of riders and coaches. Every group is led by a certified professional female mountain bike coach from the community here. And they take these girls through all kinds of different skills building. Um, we do pump tracks. We do group rides. We kind of cover a handful of um, venues or like riding locations and skills to throughout the eight weeks so that they're just getting a really well-rounded experience and getting to try a little bit of everything. We do like mock racing and yeah, all kinds of fun stuff. So that program uh, really started with um, one of the co-founders of Transition Bikes, um, Carrie Young. She um, has, uh, her and Kyle um, have uh, two kids and one of them's their daughter, Annika. And there's a gazillion after-school ride programs in Bellingham. Like every school pretty much has a parent or 10 that volunteer their time to take these kids on a ride. So, you know, this elementary school might have Tuesdays as their ride day. and This school has this day. And so there's like hundreds of kids on Galbraith after school programs through the spring and fall anyway. And uh, Carrie just noticed this lack of anything specific just for girls. So um, her daughter would join in these after school programs and oftentimes be the only girl for that school that was mountain biking that day. And she just really wanted other girls to ride with. So Carrie started the Flying Squirrels Ride Club for Girls. And she did this through the WBC, which is our local mountain bike coalition, the Whatcom Mountain Bike Coalition. Shout out WBC. Uh, there are trail stewards and advocacy group, and they just make the mountain biking in Bellingham what it is. They're a huge part of it. And so Carrie got with the WBC and started the Flying Squirrels Riding Club. And this is right around the time I launched Radical Roots. So she reached out to me um, as a transition athlete and was like, Hey, do you want to teach some skills and drills to these girls? A lot of them haven't had mountain bike coaching. They don't know how to lift their front wheels off the ground, proper braking, et cetera. So I was like, yeah, sign me up. I would love to. So I started going on these rides with flying squirrels and teaching these skills clinics. And it was so fun. I, you know, there's a little part of me, like I'm not a parent. So I kind of step into the youth mentorship role. Initially, when I stepped into that role, I felt a little bit like a fraud. I was like, am I going to say the right things? Is this age appropriate? Am I going to teach them right? Are they, are they going to be safe? Are their parents, you know, like there's so much to navigate when working with the youth, but luckily mentors like Carrie and again, Kat Sweet, who just had a ton of experience working with kids, drawing back on my work as a snowboard instructor and remembering I worked with a lot of youth as a snowboard instructor. So remembering some of the skills I learned then 
just kind of culminated and I started to get more and more comfortable working with the girls. And then, uh, and they're just so fun. Like I just have such a blast. And then Carrie was recognizing that as her program grew, the girls who had started with her, like her daughter and her daughter's peers were now getting into middle school. And this ride program was still attracting, you know, girls as young as first and second grade. So Carrie thought there kind of needs to be a split here. There needs to be something that the flying squirrels can graduate into. That's just a little bit more advanced, a little more skill-based. So it was really Carrie's idea for me to start the Radical Rippers as a segue for the flying squirrel riders, flying squirrels riders to join. So with her support, I was like, okay, running a business, all the coaching I have going, I'm kind of at my bandwidth. I don't know what I could take on. She's like, I got you. She handled all the parent communications that first year. She organized the rides and really took such a leadership role in making it work that it made it possible for me to take on. And within like the first couple of weeks of riding with the Radical Rippers, I was like, okay, how do I make more time in my schedule for this? I didn't feel too busy for it anymore. All of a sudden it was like, oh no, this has to be in my schedule. It is really meaningful. It's super impactful to the girls, but also to us coaches that we're getting to ride with them. We're getting our lives very enriched by the experience too. So we were all still calling ourselves flying squirrels back then, but it got confusing because it was like Carrie's flying squirrels and Angie's flying squirrels. And like, so I, that first year of flying of our team, I, um, I commissioned the girls to come up with the name for our riding club. And I was like, bonus points if it has the word radical in it because of radical roots. And they came up with radical rippers and I loved it. So we named it the Rip- radical rippers that first year. There are about 14 girls and I think about five of us coaches helping out. And we would just go out on one big group ride. We just all stayed together the whole time. And then um, the following year, we had like 40 girls register. And I was like, okay. And this year, I sold out 54 spots in two hours of Red Green Open. It's like getting concert tickets now to get a spot. And Carrie's sold out the Flying Squirrels in 30 minutes. And she has 100 spots for her girls. So... To say the demand is there is an understatement. But yeah, luckily I have this phenomenal team of coaches that I've been able to hire to help me take on that many girls. And I'm right in the midst of, I just closed Reg and I'm in the midst of getting intake forms in and organizing the groups for the year and setting everyone up for success. Uh, It's been such an incredible process. So for those of you who don't know, who didn't see the video, maybe uh, Radical Rippers, the mission of the Radical Rippers is to give youth a fun and safe space to build confidence, strength, and community on and off the bike. So that kind of gives you a little idea of what our mission is and what we're doing. Um, We really just work on our skills, ride bikes, and practice being good teammates and work on being more confident, right? The beauty about learning to mountain bike, especially as a young person, is it gives you practice at failure. It sounds counterintuitive, but that is such a, an important building block for confidence is facing failure and reacting to it. So when we have a crash on our mountain bike, that is a very obvious failure. You feel it in, oftentimes in your skin and bones, even um, if not emotionally. And your team is around you or your friends are around you, your community is around you, like cheering you on, helping you take care of your wounds and giving you the pep talk to try again. And that, I feel like that process of failing and getting back up again is what's building 
confident young women, which the world definitely needs more of. Let's be real. (laughs) That is a fact. And I'm not just saying that. That is a fact. It is a fact. We uh, we have a saying here, me and, a, and another buddy of mine that I do a lot of trail work with is uh, living on the edge of incompetency, which I'm sure you've felt, you know, in growing your program, because there's just a lot of stuff you don't know, you know, especially when you're trying to put things together that you have this idea of what you want it to be, but you don't necessarily know how you get to where you want it, where you need it to be, especially from a business aspect and getting everything connected. Totally. So that is a super important aspect of what we're, you know, what mountain biking can offer to people. Definitely. Definitely. And you don't know what you don't know. So um, I think the beauty of group settings like this, like these girls learning amongst their peers is that something comes up for another one of them that might put a puzzle piece together, make something click for another one that they didn't even think to ask that question that brought that to the surface. So there's a lot of um, learning from each other, which is just really cool. And you probably know what this is like. I certainly do as a female mountain biker watching one of my male friends or my boyfriend who's an incredibly great mountain biker watching them accomplish something is like yeah cool oh that looks awesome I don't think I can do that right like it's not always like as obvious but when I see one of my fellow female riders accomplish something it looks a little more similar to how it's going to feel for me and I'm able to just kind of get a little better perspective on what that will look like for me personally and that oftentimes fuels me wanting to progress so that's the same with the junior riders, male or female. If you see another junior rider accomplish something that you didn't think was possible, it makes it seem more possible in your brain. So it kind of sets the example a little closer to home, which makes it that much more obtainable. So it's really important to be learning this stuff in a community of like-minded and similar age, size, weight riders as yourself, right? So pretty impactful. For sure. So on communities. Let's talk about Bellingham a little bit. Obviously, Bellingham is like a powerhouse in terms of communities that really embrace mountain biking. You have multiple bike companies there, um, really good trail network. You know, and I asked this a similar question to Sky when when we did that when we did the Sky interview. You know, what what's what's your take on Bellingham as a community or the way you the way you see it? Um, well, first of all, it rains here all the time, so don't come here. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you can keep people away. You don't have to. You don't have to sell it. <laughs> It's not for everybody. If you're used to Colorado sunshine or California sunshine every day, you're going to want to stay there. (laughs) No, I mean, obviously, I love seeing our community grow. And it's been really centered around mountain biking. It's one of the main attractions here in Bellingham is the mountain biking access. So not only do we have really great trails here in town, but within a 30-mile radius, take that even larger 100-mile, 300-mile radius, You've got some of the world's best riding, the North Shore of British Columbia, Whistler. We've got some insane riding in the San Juan Islands, um, all over the North Cascades. So, yeah, we're really just like nestled in this perfect little corner of the world surrounded by great trails and great advocacy groups that keep trail access so that um, a lot of what we ride is legal. (laughs) Not all of it, but most of it. (laughs) Um, And... um, Yeah, I think that having such a strong coalition like the WNBC looking out for speaking on behalf of the local mountain bikers, like we have a lot of really well-spoken professionals in that coalition who speak on behalf of the mountain bikers and bring us legitimacy. So it's not just a bunch of rowdy, dirty 
dirt bags like center like rallying around city hall we do that although you know there there is the time and place for that but we do have some really well composed representatives who speak on our behalf and um, a lot of small business owners who have recognized the benefit of the mountain biking community and the draw that it has for tourism and stuff and they speak on our behalf and it's really legitimized the sport here locally and so a lot of infrastructure is being built and you know, not to like brag too much about transition, um, but those guys that or that crew have really not just guys, but that crew of, um, at Transition Bikes has been really instrumental in keeping access and building infrastructure around cycling and supporting the WMBC and the local efforts. I mean, anywhere from Kevin and Kyle hiring trail builders and funding huge projects like Blue Steel and, um, you know, even Back in the day when we risked Galbraith being closed for public access, Kevin and Kyle knew how to build websites and stuff, and they built the Save the Trails website that actually made WMB or excuse me made um, the city of Bellingham like purchase a lot of the rights to the recreation land around here and have a stewardship going with the, the landowners. So our big trail area is Galbraith Mountain. Our big local like in everyone's backyard is Galbraith Mountain. It's privately owned timberland, and so. That relationship with the landowners was really delicate for many years in there. Um, you know, obviously, when our trails are being logged, it's the mountain bikers' initial instincts to fight that. Uh, but you need to realize, like, that is a big reason why we are allowed to ride on Galbraith is because it's timberland and it's getting logged. It's not zoned for development, which is what's going to keep us riding there for years to come. And so that relationship with the landowners and the WBC, which Transition has been a big supporter of, has created this great synergy that allows us access that we have. And it's what are such a big foundation of our community. Then you throw in incredible rock stars like Jill Kittner living here in town, advocating for pump tracks to be built and putting in her own time and energy into designing and building these pump tracks. And like so much community can be built in within a pump track area that wouldn't necessarily reach the mountain bike trails, right? Or maybe that's that those pump tracks in town are going to be a lot of our youth's initial forays into a cycling lifestyle and will hopefully instigate them into pursuing mountain biking and getting into the woods more. So um, yeah, it's like, it's multifaceted. There's a lot going on for many, many years that has been happening to position Bellingham how it is. Um, and it's really, yeah, the people who are behind the scenes doing all that work which just makes such a big difference. Yeah. So you brought up transition. Let's transition into transition. Let's transition into transition. But You're obviously really proud of working where you work and doing what you do, which is really, I mean, it's, it's an inspiring piece of life that I don't think a lot of people really get to recognize. And it's really good to, you know, be able to have this interview with you and, and feel that excitement that you have about that company. Let's talk about that company a little bit. And you guys have some some products out. One one product that really I think took people by surprise in last year was that transition spur. You know, that's that's a bike that really I've never seen a review where somebody hasn't just been totally stoked on that bike. But let's talk about the yeah. company, you know, and how and what you do there and and just why you really like it. I'm a little biased, but I think we're the best. <laughs> the short should. of the long. <laughs> No, uh, we're not. Honestly, there's a lot of really great bike companies out there and everybody's making really phenomenal product right now. We're not the only ones. 
it's just, I think what really one thing that sets transition apart is their um, just authenticity. You, you have a company full of writers and that I think is displayed in their marketing, their product design, um, even visiting HQ, you go in there and you're like, yeah, a bunch of mountain bikers work here. There's like a shower in the bathroom and beer taps built into the counter. And like, it's very welcoming. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Is there something specific you want to know about transition or you want to hear? No, just kind of your take on it and why, why you feel it's a special company, you know, and you've, you've, you've talked about that in different aspects of this whole interview too. So. You know, just especially with the advocacy side of it. Yeah, I think um, Kevin and Kyle, the owners, are very generous and very um, progressive. They run a bicycle company because they love bikes that much. They aren't in it for, you know, awards that they've maybe won or accolades that they get. They're in it because they just like love bikes and wanted to make awesome bikes and they want to surround themselves with awesome people to work with. So it's created this really cool work environment and company that really prioritizes um, their community and just the passion for writing. At the end of the day, it's like, okay, if you're super stressed out because you have a gazillion emails to answer and you haven't ridden your bike all week, your boss is going to be like, go ride your bike. You know, it's like, I feel like that is even just, I was um, on a meeting with the marketing team before this call and Sky, who you've interviewed before, Sky Shillhammer is the man. He's our marketing manager, I guess, brand manager, you could say, at Transition. And he's just like, we haven't all ridden together in a while. You guys want to meet up to ride this week? What time works for everybody? So it's just like, yeah, we need to ride together. We've been too much like Zoom and Skype meetings. Let's like do this in real life. So we just planned a ride for tomorrow morning on our meeting today because we're all just jonesing to ride with each other. <laughs> so I think it's cool that uh, that is not just hot air talk. They're not just like, we love bikes, but secret, secretly we're all playing golf and fishing. Although there are a lot of transition employees that do golf and fish, ironically, <laughs> but probably not more than they mountain bike. So yeah, it's just cool that they, um, they really make it clear that's a, a priority in the company is that everybody's getting their riding in. And one, I just have a story that does kind of stand out from my perspective. So this kind of gives you a little insight when I was looking for sponsors um, to start my new career um, at Radical Roots and as a full-time coach, I sat down with Lars Sternberg, who's the um, team manager. And I've known Lars for years and we've ridden bikes together and um, whatnot. And I sat down with him and just, I had this whole proposal, this spiel, like, here's what I can bring your brand. Here's what I have to offer. Here's all my ideas. Like, I was just so used to selling myself and my and like pitching what I had to offer as a female trying to get sponsored in the bike industry with zero racing accolades. No one knows me for like, I'm not a Red Bull athlete. I've never won a significant race or been featured in any free ride films. Like I know I have significance and I bring something to the team, but I also knew that I had to sell that idea because it was out of the box. And so I sat down in that meeting with Lars and just like, blah, 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 here's what I have to offer. <laughs> and he just sat there listen, respectfully listening, nodding his head. And when I got done with my spiel, he was like, 
That's cool and all, Angie, if you want to go and do all that stuff, you're more than welcome to. But I just want to make it clear. We're sponsoring you for you being you and what you're already doing. You don't need to add any of this other stuff on to get our support. <laughs> like, Just tell me what you need. <laughs> and it was such a like breath of fresh air. I was like, oh, right. They want to sponsor me because of what I'm already doing and who I already am in the world. I don't need to sell them on anything or you know, make this big, I don't need to advocate for myself. Like they're standing here in front of me telling me that they're going to advocate for me moving forward. And it was like, oh, okay. Like that's different. <laughs> I'll take that. And asked for the bikes I needed, went on my way as a sponsored transition athlete, launching my business, helping them with photo shoots and stuff along the way when they needed it. Great being in the same town as your sponsor. Cause you get involved in a lot of those marketing projects that wouldn't be feasible if I were um, in another part of the country. So I just felt kind of lucky there. And also just felt really, um, it made me feel really validated for them to be including me in so much. And so I started putting on um, transition women's weekend events. So I've been doing women's specific mountain bike skills camps and weekend events for 12 plus years now. It's been kind of always been a little side project of mine is putting on these women's events that have a certain vibe and bring a lot of progression to the riders and attract riders of all ages and ability and skill interests, skill levels. So Transition and I partnered to put on these women's events and they're just like super supportive on everything. They're, le- they're helping me fly in some of my favorite coaches from different parts of the country to help with these events and just making, making these really cool weekends for women and that's when I realized like, okay, like my level of support here is really special. And it's something that I just take really seriously. And I want to give back to that company as much as I can. And then in late 2019, Lars and Kevin and Kyle approached me with the idea of them hiring me. And they kind of laid it out like, we love supporting you here on the out, like you're, you're getting our support as this external entity. And we just really want to bring you in the fold more. So can we give you a salary and have you on the marketing team, but still want you running your business and doing your coaching? We don't want to step on any toes there. We definitely want you still doing that. We just kind of want you more integrated into our like work structure and our, um, and our staff. And I was like, oh, you pulled my arm. Like, okay. <laughs> like, when you put it that way, I was like so flattered and so honored. Um, and so I said, yes. So starting in January, 2020, I became a part-time, what they call a employee athlete at transition. So I'm still, I still have my sponsorship contract, but I also have a part-time employee contract as well. And so I'm on the brand team, which has been really cool because, um, it's kind of giving me this much louder megaphone for encouraging women and girls to stick with it or join our sport. And it's giving me a megaphone to amplify these female riders that we sponsor. And I'm getting to promote them and like brag about them, which is like dream job. (laughs) So I'm getting to help Lars a bit with the team. I'm helping a bit with social media. And then a big part of my job is continuing to put on events when we're allowed to, again, run the Radical Ripper program, things like that. They're basically supporting me taking on... um, you know, digging deeper into these initiatives that I would be doing anyway. I'm just getting more support from them to do it. And, um, you know, to touch back on, we were talking about 
the barriers um, women often face in getting into the sport and getting those jobs at bike shops. And I love to use transition as an example. I wasn't applying for jobs, right? Like I wasn't, I was fully committed full-time to running my business. I was happy with getting sponsorship, but I was not looking. I didn't have a resume out there. I wasn't applying for jobs. I had zero, there was nothing on my radar that was like, I need more work to do. <laughs> um, but transition recognized that they they wanted to be hiring more females and they wanted to diversify their staff in a way. And they had worked with me enough that they saw my work ethic and my, uh, they were just learned to appreciate, really appreciate my input on things. And so they approached me about hiring me and made it work for me as a professional in the, in the industry already. And so just that, I love using this as an example of thinking outside the box to diversify your staff. It's like, it's, if you aren't known for being very diverse, then you're not going to get a lot of diverse applicants applying for your job. And that's not to say that transition doesn't have diverse applicants applying there. It's just that like they recognize like, oh, Angie could really benefit the company to be more internal. And so they sought me out and made me an offer that um, worked for me. And I think that's an important note of like, we're going to grow this sport racial diversity, gender diversity, by thinking outside the box and reaching out to where those candidates are and asking them to join rather than just sitting back twiddling your thumbs like, I wonder when a female's going to apply here. You know, it's like, no, they, they, um, you know, got Hannah Bergman on board. Uh, we've since hired Kate Pierce, who's come out from Moab and is working in customer service now. There's another new um, female staff member being hired, but I don't know if it's out in the public yet. So it's just like, I don't know. It's a, it's exciting to be a part of a company that's so willing to think outside the box and do something, have a unique approach to it just because it's what feels right to them. And, um, it just really, I think speaks volumes to the, um, the, the staff there and how just like, uber supportive they are and they recognize that mountain biking isn't the same for everybody and that not everybody um, gets the same thing out of the sport so by bringing in different points of view you're going to reach different points of view and uh, it's just really cool that I get to be a part of that <laughs> that was a really long answer sorry <laughs> that was a great answer so it sounds like you get like more more support than you could ever dream of from transition is there anyone else that you have um, that really supports you and what you do and your radical and your radical roots and all that stuff that you want to shout out to? Yeah, definitely. Big shout out to SRAM and Rock Shocks. They are a company really doing similar, thinking outside the box, pushing for more inclusion in our and diversity in our sport. When I um, started Radical Roots, I reached out to SRAM and Rock Shocks and and um, made the pitch for me to become an ambassador with them and they were all about it and they give me an insane amount of support as well. And what's really cool is Ceram and Rock Shocks, they'll hire me as a coach to be at large events like Sea Otter, um, Crankworks, some of the like outer bike events. They're paying me to offer skills clinics to participants at the, at the events for free. So you could go to Crankworks at Whistler and take a free downhill clinic from coaches like me, Lee Donovan, Lindsay Richter, like these top name coaches who are sponsored by them, they um, like they pay us to give those clinics to their um, to uh, excuse me to consumers for free 
I just think that's huge. Like way to go strand rock shocks all around. Like they're just leading the charge in making our sport more inclusive and bringing legitimacy to athletes like me, who, like I said before, don't have great racing accolades or this, this colorful past of all these achievements and awards. It's like, they recognize that I have a, a special way of reaching people and helping them have more fun safely on the bike. I love nerding out about suspension setup and handlebar setup. Like I could, I could talk about uh, how to set your bike up and how to get the most out of it with my clients for ever. So I just love that they give me the tools to do that. They'll, they put me through training. They sent me to their SRAM university, uh, SRAM bicycle university, SBU. And I just have learned so much on the mechanical side of things, let alone like the event side and just sponsorship side of things. So big shout out to SRAM rock shocks. They're, their support of women in the sport has been phenomenal and it's still growing. It's super impressive. Um, some of my other great sponsors include industry nine wheels, which are fantastic. I love that. I nine will use me in adverts and stuff so that you're getting to see women riding hard terrain on beautiful wheels. It's like, Oh, I'm happy to be that girl. <laughs> um, and then I get a lot of support from Ride Concepts Shoes. They're really keen to support, especially my women in youth initiatives and Maxis Tires. You know, I go through some rubber in my season. I, uh, I wear out, I wear out bike parts. I'm literally on my bike like six days, seven days a week through the season. So it pays to have sponsors replacing some of those parts for me. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, I mean, all those companies are, are really iconic, great brands too, for the, for the industry itself. As we wrap this thing up, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you want to touch on before we, uh, before we sign off on this one? You know, I feel like we covered so much, but there is one little piece of advice. I don't know who this will reach, you know, aside from all the other advice I've given, um, you know, one of my big motivators with my youth programs is we all know that teenage girls, especially the rates of them riding their bike drops off significantly once they reach like that 12 to 13 year old. So Josh, you have a daughter, your oldest is seven, right? Yep. So you still got a few years where bikes can be this fun neighborhood thing, not a lot of pressure, right? Just like let her enjoy the sport for what it is. And then when they reach preteen teenage years, like girls just stop riding at a significantly higher rate than boys do. And I'm on a mission to kind of find out why. I, of course, have my inklings, but I really want to know, like, what can be done to keep girls more engaged. I have a feeling things like the Flying Squirrels and the Radical Ripper program certainly helps, right? Building your community, finding like-minded girls who are also into bikes. Um, but I, one thing I've kind of uncovered through this process is that young women aren't asked for their opinions very often. It's like our society has sort of been trained to not hear from that population or that demographic. So I've made it one of my missions to just get the opinions of more young women. So whether that's like, what's your favorite trail? What's your favorite bike? What's your favorite feature? What skill do you want to work on? To have you ever experienced racism? What's this like at your school? What do you think about when adults say or do this? Or what's it feel like when you're what, to be bullied? Have you experienced bullying? Right? Like, I'm, like, 
I just want to ask questions in a careful way to obviously not trigger any trauma that's possibly happened in their past. Like you have a delicate rope to walk when you're working with youth. And I respect that. But I find that just interacting with a young woman by asking her questions and her thoughts on the matter of anything happening, whether it's bike related or on a larger scale, just asking, what do you think of that? What are your feelings there? And giving her a chance to practice speaking her truths and her opinions about things. That is a muscle more girls need to strengthen and flex. So for anyone listening out here who this may resonate with, um, you know, I hope that that inspires you to just take a second and ask a few more questions than maybe you think you would not to be nosy or creepy, obviously, (laughs) there's a fine line, (laughs) but I think just recognizing that like, yeah, these young women have opinions on things too, and they're not often asked for their opinions. So if you're in a position to help a young woman, um, um, come up with her thoughts and ideas and articulate, that's what I was looking for. If you can help a young woman articulate her thoughts and feelings in situations, she's going to get used to doing that and grow up being able to express herself openly and honestly. And again, like we said, the world needs more of that. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It'll be interesting to see with a couple of things that are going on, especially with like, I know you guys have the have have your programs that radical rippers and flying squirrels, but with NICA too, to see on more of a nationwide scale if that trend starts to change. You know, it's it's something I've noticed here in our community. We have about a hundred, I think we have about a hundred people, hundred hundred kids in our local NICA program. You know, and they do offer mountain biking now as a as a summer school activity through our um, local uh, public school system at least. So it'll be interesting to see if that, if through what you're doing and what similar communities are doing in NICA will help change that balance, move that, move that needle the other, in the proper direction. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it already is. Like even just like Little Bella's program, the NICA mm-hmm. program, like you said, I mean, there's so many programs that are coming up to support that, that it really is changing the face of mountain biking. We are seeing a lot more women come up in the sport. And when we start to get, women's slope style and free ride competitions that are creeping up to the guys level like that's when we'll know we're reaching more balance i don't know that it'll ever be perfectly parallel but even it's exciting even to see women um like at at the red bull formation sending it on older red bull rampage sites so it's like yeah but women's free ride is sort of where the guys free ride was in like oh eight or something right like you can kind of see where in the timeline, women are starting to come into the scene and move up. And the more youth you have learning the sport from a young age, learning how to hit jumps, send tricks, crash properly, right? The more we have younger girls learning that, the more they'll grow into adults who still pursue that and get on these bigger stages as free riders and slope style athletes. Um, and of course, racing complements all that and having more women racers is always um, going to help the the sport as well. But I think racing at this point is a little bit more accessible than a lot of the free ride slope style stuff is, which I know is a very small niche in the bike industry, but it is one nonetheless that needs more female representation. So um, yeah, I think these youth programs are keeping girls engaged for longer and um, our sport is going to greatly benefit from that in years to come as we start to see more and more female professionals making a living 
sending it on their bikes. So cool. And even at the at the highest level, um, and we're going to go cross country here quick, at the World Cup level, it is more exciting to watch women's racing right now than it is men's. It just is. You know, there's the competition is closer. It's deeper. That the talent is deeper. It, so it is. You know, when when that is a thing, and you can get on, say, Red Bull TV and watch those races live, or even repeats of those races, it, it is really awesome to see that. Absolutely. Yeah, no, the women's racing. I'm glad you said that because um, I hoped it wasn't just me. I do love the women's racing. I definitely follow, especially the World Cup downhill stuff. It's so exciting. Yeah, it's, it is good to see. Well, Angie, I really appreciate you taking some time out of your day for this. Have I talked your ear off enough? <laughs> oh, we're good. Pete Taylor is the, <laughs> is the benchmark. We, we talked about that early in the show from you know, from Vernon County, Vernon Trails, and Blue Dog Cycles. Every now and then I'll get a text from, so have you had an interview longer than mine? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you, now you can text and be like, Angie Weston <laughs> was right on the knuckle, <laughs> coming creeping up on your lake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm going to text him after this and let him know that we had this interview. <laughs> we were just actually texting yesterday about how we, need to, we both need to get out and ride together because we haven't ridden together in a while. One, partially because of, of weather, obviously, but we just, we live about 45 minutes from each other and we need to ride together more. Do it. Well, I, I really appreciate this. This is a, this has been a great interview. It really has. And, and listening to your excitement and everything is, is it's, it's amazing. So thank you very much. Thank you, Josh. Thank you so much for having me on here. And thanks for um, all you do. You are spreading the mountain bike love and growing the community and reaching new corners of it, thinking outside the box. So I see you and I commend you for the work you're doing as well. Well, well, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening to the Angie Weston interview. Stay tuned as we continue with the topics of youth and female riding. If you like what you heard, please take the time to share these shows. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, please remember to leave a comment and rate the show wherever you consume your podcasts. This podcast has been made possible by Mountain Bike Radio, Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and is an Evolution Trail Services production. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature on Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.